Mike, what are we talking about on today's episode of Moving the Goalposts? Today we hit on everything that happened in the NFL in week eight. And we also look at the trade deadline coming up on Tuesday. And with said trade deadline, there's been lots of talk in New England about acquiring draft picks. So we're going to take a look back at uh, past drafts of the last 20 years for Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. We're going to try and put together a, uh, a team, an offense, defense, special teams. And then we close the show out by making picks for this week. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating, review, and tell a friend. Moving the goalposts wherever you listen. It's just a public service announcement. Sponsored by Just Blaze and the good folks at Rockefeller Records. Fellow Americans, it is with the utmost pride and sincerity that I present this recording as a living testament and recollection of history in the making during our generation. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho, oh, H to the O-V. I used to move snowflakes by the O-Z. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Moving the Goalposts, New England's number one sports podcast for fuck. Podcast. Podcast. I moved too quickly from sports podcast into four and created the word podcast. <clears throat> What's up, everybody? Welcome to Moving the Goalposts, New England's number one sports podcast for any new Mandalorian fans. We'll see. Okay. My name's Nick Mara, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Masala. Mike, how are you now? I'm doing well, brother. How are you? Not so bad. You can check out our social media profiles on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at NickMara94. Mike, where can the listeners reach you? You can find me on Twitter at Mike underscore Masala or on Instagram at Mike Masala NFL. Be sure to follow along with us on our Moving the Goalpost social media as well. They can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Moving the Posts. So it's Monday and we're recording a new episode. It's about 10.13 in the morning. And the Patriots have just lost their fourth consecutive game for the first time since the year 2000. And the sky is falling because they don't have a quarterback, which we talked about last week. Uh, the problem is there's a lot of really, 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 really bad teams in the league. And I think it would be unfair if we didn't give them their just due. So like last week, I think it, uh, it only makes sense for us to go through the week eight schedule of games played and diagnose what exactly happened and let the listeners know what we feel about the league going forward. Sound like a plan? Yes, sir. All right, so let's start where we always start, Thursday night football, Atlanta at Carolina. Mike, you decided to take the uh, Carolina Panthers in our picks last week to go against the Falcons, to beat the Falcons. That didn't happen. Do you want to talk about the game? <laughs> I'm 0-8 in Falcons games this year. It's a real problem. I can't pick them correctly either way. I've picked them to win six times. I've picked them to lose twice. And it's worked out the complete opposite way both times. Maybe it's not Dan Quinn anymore. I don't know what the problem is. Maybe it's just me. I'm it an is. addict. It is. Yeah, no, we were, we were joking before I started. we started recording. I was like, you need to call like a, a gambling hotline and just tell them that you have a problem picking the Falcons. Just tell them that it's the Falcons. Like, no, everything else is fine. Like, I'm not worried about that. It's just that, like, I may lose and you make up that you have, like, a house. Say, like, I might not be able to pay my mortgage because I can't pick the Falcons correctly. And just see what happens. You know, at the very least, I think there'll be a, a, a shoulder to cry on. But they might try and tell you, uh, hey, Mike, maybe it would be a good idea to just stop altogether. 
Right. I just need some support. I need a shoulder to cry on. I need some. I need somebody to lift me up or take me away from the Falcons, cover me and shield me from. I don't have to look at that team anymore. I just don't because, understand what the fascination is with them. Like, they were a very good team four years ago, and they really haven't been that great since. <laughs> that, that's the thing is, you look at the roster and they should be. Like, they should be a good team. All right. Well, that like 10 of the 11 stars on offense being first overall picks. I think that that's, I joke about that. Right. I don't seriously think that they have a fantastic offense because they have so many first round picks, but they should be better. But yeah, if you just like look at their offense and you see, you see Matt Ryan, who's had an MVP season before you see Todd Gurley, who maybe isn't the player he once was, but I think he's leading the league in rushing touchdowns. You have Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Hayden Hurst. Like that's a good complement of weapons. That team should be able to be way better than they are. And I don't know if it's the defense. I don't know if it's the coaching. It might be just the damn ownership. Arthur Blank always looming on the sideline after every yeah. game. I think I think he's literally a grim reaper. <laughs> I he he is the, uh, the. I love the memes that always come out like. Dag Nabbit, the damsel in distress has been rescued again because he just looks like that cartoon villain that would like tie a woman to train tracks and like stroke his mustache. He doesn't know how to own an NFL team. He doesn't know how to actually off the damsel in distress. He, he's just, what is it that he's good at? How did he make all his money? Probably Honestly, like racketeering or like <laughs> prohibition, something like that. We need a deep dive into Arthur Blank's background. Yeah, maybe that's an episode in the future. Yeah, if if anybody wants to uh, wants to help us out with the history of Arthur Blank's life, give us some uh, some background. <laughs> Go ahead and tweet at us, I guess. <laughs> uh, all right. So after Thursday night, we move on to the Sunday slate, and the Sunday slate was an interesting one. I was, as many New England fans, spending the day watching the Patriots, and came to the conclusion. The worst part about being a Patriots fan this year is knowing that there are better, more entertaining games to watch. Mm-hmm. And I sent that out and someone responded to me. Some random person said, well, yeah, there were also more entertaining games to watch when the Patriots were shit pumping the bills 45 to three. And I thought about answering it, basically saying, if you didn't have fun watching your team, your favorite team destroy the opponent, especially a divisional rival, then I don't know. You don't have a pulse. Because right. those games were entertaining. Those games were fun. Yesterday's game was, was fun and entertaining to watch. It's, just, it, it's sloppy play. Mm-hmm. Like, we have to watch a bad football team now, and that is what is the worst. Like, there, there are better games, better quality football games out there on Sundays that I just I, I won't flip to anymore because I, I want to stay locked in with New England. I don't want to be that type of person that said, well, now they're not playing as well or they're boring. I'm going to watch someone else. It's so different to watch this team from uh, we experienced our first snow of the year. And I decided an October snow reminds me of that game against the Titans in 2009, where they put up 59 points and won 59, nothing. And I went out and watched that game on that day. And just to see the difference in, it doesn't even look like the same type of game. And, And that's the thing is like, you, you, you're completely right. Like if I wasn't, going to like write about or talk about the Patriots more than I would about other teams. I probably would have had another game on like the number one TV that we're watching yesterday. Yeah. It's like there, there are other football games that deserve your attention more than this. The interesting part is you want to see the development of some of the younger players. 
there's no development I'm really seeing out of anybody. <laughs> that's, there's really that's the thing that scares me. So uh, just because I want to keep things in order, uh, we'll get to the Patriots game. But the game of the week for me was the Steelers-Ravens game. You had the two top teams in the AFC North, the only undefeated team in the Pittsburgh Steelers, 6-0. and The Ravens were 5-1. and The winner of this game was going to take uh, over sole possession of first place in that division, arguably the best division in football with the Browns, who have been putting up uh, some stagnant performances of recently, but still competitive within that division. Mm -hmm. Pittsburgh comes away with the win, 28-24, at Baltimore, improves their record to 7-0. I mean, do we have to basically stamp them now as the team that's going to be the team to beat in the AFC, or is it still Kansas City? I think it's still Kansas City, but Pittsburgh's definitely showing that they're a really complete team. Their offense and defense are both spectacular. Um, ben didn't look great yesterday. He, he finished 182 yards, two touchdowns. But the fact that they're able to ride off of their defense and they, they know that they don't have to have an incredible performance on offense every week, that, that will make them a better team. And that's something kind of you saw last year with – if they did, if they just had a average Ben Roethlisberger instead of a Mason Rudolph or a Duck Hodges or whoever it is they decide to throw in, they they probably would have been a playoff team last year. But easily, yeah, they, this 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 team this year they this is their division and they're in at least in my mind in, in the AFC Championship game right now. And I think to be honest with you, it's safe to say now that we can at least make a claim or make an argument that Lamar Jackson in big games does not come through. That Lamar Jackson and maybe the Baltimore Ravens as a whole could be labeled as front runners. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when the chips are stacked against them, and this is, you know, going back two years now with, you know, 0-2 in playoff games, the, brights, the lights don't get much bigger than that. Yeah. And uh, they, they, he just hasn't had much success. He hasn't really played well in games. It's not like he's had a defense that's let him down. It's just that uh, the, the team doesn't perform well. So definitely a question that can be asked mm -hmm. uh next game Tua tongue of aloha made his first career start for the miami dolphins what do you go second overall third overall uh i believe it was third third over yeah i think it was third as well beating the los angeles rams the rams have a good team tough defense Tua didn't really play that great like his numbers weren't fantastic but miami was just all over the field, dominant second quarter, scoring 21 points, uh, fumbles, touchdowns, interceptions, all that fun stuff. Uh, what do you think about the Dolphins going forward? They're now four and three. They're in second place, only a game behind or two games behind the, uh, the Buffalo Bills for first in the division. And to be honest with you, the way things look right now in the AFC East, I would not be shocked if that's how they finish. Yeah, they they don't have a ton of – they're kind of like the opposite of the Steelers, uh, the Steelers where they don't have a ton of talent all over the place, but they have a lot of guys who, like, are giving it their all, and I think they're coached really well. Um, the Rams in this game, they turn the ball over, I believe, three or four times. Just off of, like, strip sacks alone, Jared Goff was getting beat every time. Like, I, I don't know what it was with, the, with their, the pressure that Miami was bringing, if it was extra rushers or whatnot, but – Jared Goff couldn't seem to get out of his own way, and that's been the struggle with the Rams pretty much since they uh, were in the Super Bowl a few years back. The Dolphins, I think they're they're an AFC East um, 
contender. I mean, I don't I don't necessarily see them overthrowing Buffalo, but I think that they can possibly grab a wild card spot. And I think that's a couple years before that uh, Brian Flores was planning. And maybe this switch from Tua eventually works out. Like you said, he didn't really have a great game. He threw for less than 100 yards. They didn't ask for him to do too much. But if, if you can ease your quarterback into that transition while still winning games, it's a good spot to be in. Yeah, no doubt about it. And like you said, I think uh, every Dolphin is playing for Brian Flores. They they really picked up their compete level towards the end of last year. And I think that Week 17 game in New England that essentially knocked the Patriots out of, can't say knocked them out of the playoffs, but it certainly knocked them out of a first-round bye. That's what kind of springboarded them into this offseason where they started acquiring players that had a little bit more of a pedigree, a little bit more leadership qualities, and are a little bit more professional so that they could help bring the younger guys along, but they're all still playing for the same purpose. It's not like there's guys playing for money and guys playing for stats or guys playing for fame. They're all playing for the coach. Next game up. Uh, <laughs> the Chiefs beat the Jets, and they covered. <laughs> I don't really think there's much more to say than that. <laughs> really not. Jets go to 0-8. Uh, the interesting thing, and I'll bring it up, uh, later on in the episode, the Jets being 0-8 and, and still having two games to play against the Patriots. The play- Patriots still technically control their own destiny, so to speak, towards the top of the draft if they were to lose every single game going forward and the Jets were to win. So, mm-hmm. still on the table, New England. You could finish in last place. <laughs> it would be tough sledding. Fingers crossed. Dalvin Cook had himself a game yesterday. Minnesota Vikings traveled to Green Bay. Coming away with a 28-22 victory over the Packers, pushing their record to 5-2. and two. Green Bay uh, didn't look great. Defense could not stop the running game. No, they couldn't. And I think Dalvin Cook is probably the best running back when he's healthy. The problem is, is he's healthy so infrequently. Very uh, rarely. Even, even in this game, there was a, a quick stretch where Dalvin Cook got hurt. It looked like he was going to come out of the game. And they went to commercial break, and he came right back in and ran for another touchdown. I was like, <laughs> what, what is happening with this guy? Um, Mind games. Exactly. And Kirk Cousins throws for 160 yards. I think like 50 of them came on a Dalvin Cook screen. So you don't, you're don't not expecting a whole lot from Kirk Cousins at this point. Kind of a surprise win for the Vikings over the Packers. Um, Aaron Rodgers is going to come into next week pissed. That's, uh, it's, it's not going to be fun for, for them. But uh, Devontae Adams – I mean, can anybody stop this guy? No. He, he doesn't even put up a crazy numbers in terms, of, in terms of yards in this game. But he had seven catches, three of them were touchdowns. Yeah. Like, you can't stop this guy in the red zone. I, and I don't know what, you're, what you expect to do um, against, this Packers, uh, against this Packers offense. Well, I, th- I think the, uh, the, the question is, if you shut down Adams, and I mean totally shut him down, what kind of offensive output are you going to get from anybody in Green Bay outside of Aaron Jones? Right. On a consistent basis, at least. Yeah, that's a, that's a question that people are going to be asking. Um, Rodgers still looked good in this game for, like, numbers-wise. 291, three touchdowns, no picks. It hurts his MVP case that he was starting to build again, losing to this, this Vikings team that's been mediocre at best so far this year. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would agree with that. I would still certainly keep him in the top two or three, uh, you know, along with, with Russell Wilson and, you know, you name whatever, uh, fuck, whatchamacallit, 
whatever Steeler you want or whatever Chief you want, because <laughs> I'm sure that they'll get thrown in there. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, Rodgers is still having a fantastic year. He's he's reacted as well as any Packers fan could have hoped to the pick of Jordan Love, his heir apparent. We don't know when that transition is going to take place, but if Aaron Rodgers keeps playing like he is, you have to wonder if maybe it's a uh, Tom Brady, Jimmy Garoppolo situation where the Green Bay may have been a year or two too early on the uh, successor at the position. Yeah, it seems to light a fire under him. Indianapolis visited Detroit. They came away with the 41-21 victory, pushing their record to 5-2. and two. Detroit falls to 3-4. and four. We were talking about the, uh, the Lions last week and how uh, Matt Patricia may be able to save his job. And I made the point that if he just finishes 8-8, eight and eight, that's not enough of an improvement to, uh, to really justify keeping the job. Drop down to 3-4 and four after a loss to Indianapolis. Uh, Seems like they're destined for that seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and seven season. So, yeah, it looks like they're on that way. Indianapolis isn't doesn't look like a great team by any means, but five and two, their record, their record looks pretty good. Um, they're able to get this victory. I think their defense had a lot to do with it. The Colts' defense is underrated. Nobody, not a lot of people are talking about how good they are, but they can they can shut down the team. Highly, highly underrated. I think Darius Leonard's probably one of the best pass-covering outside linebackers in the league. Mm-hmm. And then their offensive line five years ago was a disaster, and they've been able to turn that around very quickly, one of the better offensive lines in the league. Phillip Rivers doesn't really throw passes past like five or ten yards, but he doesn't have to. Yeah, as long as you're going to get production out of your running backs like this. They had a couple, I believe, a couple screen passes that went for, for big touchdowns from Naheem Hines. And they, if you're able to get 20 carries for 89 yards from a guy named Jordan Wilkins, who I'm sure 90% of the people listening to the podcast have never heard of, I think you're going to be pretty okay with that. I actually was not okay with it because I started uh, Jonathan Taylor. Oh, that's a tough yeah. thing. But I think I'm uh, I'm on pace to win tonight. I think I'm up. He doesn't have any players left, and I've got Tom Brady going. So we'll see what happens. Might as well just bench him. I can't do that. (laughs) Not doing that. I mean, what if your quarterback gets negative points? You know what? Then that's what happens. And I should (laughs) then I should have played Kyler Murray because Kyler Murray was on a bye, and I would have had no choice. (laughs) That's what I get for making the wrong decision. I'll eat it. One thing that I will gladly accept, our picks last week didn't go, didn't go very well. No, uh, we, we, we tweeted them out after the 1 o'clock slate of games because, ironically, every single game that we had picked ended before 4 o'clock, which was nice because mm-hmm. I was able to keep track of everything. But uh, the, the single game that either one of us got right was the Oakland-Cleveland game. I chose Oakland on the money line. I did not believe that Cleveland was going to be able to beat the Raiders. I think the Raiders are a good team. They've just had some shitty luck. 16-6, Oakland beats Cleveland. I'm down for like the weekend, but at least I got one win. True. One more than I can say. This game was a tough weather game. I believe it was crazy uh, wind and rain in this game. Yeah, did you see Cleveland's first field goal attempt? Yes. Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, uh, he kicks the ball, and it's dead center just driving right down the middle of the uprights and then probably within like the last 10 to 15 yards just swerves to the left like as <laughs> fast as you could it was almost like a driver on the highway trying to avoid like a deer or something 
Like that, that's what I was saying yesterday. When we were watching the game. I said this is the qu- that was the quickest hook I've ever seen in my life. It's unbelievable! It was absolutely insane. He's literally throwing a slider with some late movement. Chris uh, Chris Sale couldn't have made that thing slide anymore. <laughs> um, I think the Browns are that. That's a tough loss. That's a really tough loss. I think the Raiders are a team where the Browns should be on the level with, and uh, to only score six points is it does not look good. Now my anchor uh, for my job on the weekends made a claim back in September uh, that. Baker Mayfield would be on the bench and Case Keenum would be the Browns starting quarterback by week eight, which would have been yesterday. And freezing cold takes somehow got a, a hand of it. And he, he had to eat his words, but I'll tell you what, Baker Mayfield, he's still very inconsistent in Cleveland. He just can't, can't really figure out what it is that he does well. Right. You know, it's like, he's got a lot of potential, but there's just, it's like a ball of talent with no head. It's exactly what we were talking about last week with quarterbacks that may find their way into uh, another situation this year. Baker Mayfield, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked if he's somewhere else. I would not be shocked as well. I was shocked to see the Cincinnati Bengals get their second win of the year over the Titans. T- Tennessee is definitely coming back down to earth now a couple of losses in their last couple of games against Pittsburgh. And then you lose to uh, the lowly Bengals, not a good look for Mike Vrabel and the Titans, especially uh, if they want to stay competitive and win that division. They're now five and two, the same record as the Colts Uh, off the top of my head. I don't know how many head to head games that they've played or how many head to head games they have left, but those two teams, like we said uh, at the beginning of the season, seems like they're going to be the ones battling for first place in that division. Yeah, it's uh, it's been tough sledding for the Titans so far. They're about to enter Derrick Henry season, so hopefully that that changes things for them when it starts to get a little bit colder and nobody really wants to tackle Derrick Henry even more so than they already don't. Um, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow's building something down there in Cincinnati. Yeah. Like, He's looked really good so far this year. And it, if it wasn't for the fact that number one picks always go to the worst team, they would be they would be looking a lot better than they have so far in the early part of the season. Their head coach is Matt Taylor, right? Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor. He's is he he's an offensive guy? He was the uh, yeah, I think coordinator he was a quarter, in I think he was the quarterback's coach with the Rams. Quarterback's coach with the Rams. That's right. Yeah, because he's one of these uh Sean McVay, yeah, like McVay's going to have this unbelievable coaching tree when he before he even turns like 40. (laughs) Um, Meanwhile, Bill's almost in his 70s and can't. Name a a successful NFL coach under Bill Belichick's tree. Under Bill Belichick's tree? I guess it depends. Yeah, I mean, it's a conversation that takes up the airwaves of talk radio in Boston weekly, weekly. It's, it's Bill's inability to develop other coaches. I actually don't think that is a, like a slight against Belichick as a coach. If anything, it means that he's so good that he's got all these incompetent nincompoops on his staff that have no idea what to do without having their hand held. And he still wins all these games. Like, yeah. I, I don't really say, think it's a slight against him. At yeah. least it shouldn't be used. But uh, 
that's that's the uh, Boston media for you. It is the Boston media. Uh, Boston media is going to have a field day today talking about the Bills' victory over the Patriots. Bills moved to six and two. They've they've won the AFC East, I think. I you know. Miami may make things a little bit difficult for them uh, down the stretch. I don't think that Buffalo is going to walk away with it, but I, I, I don't see them losing at this point. They're, their performance in yesterday's game against New England, if I were a Bills fan, I would be concerned. I'd be happy that they finally beat the Patriots, but in, New England didn't look good really at all, other than the J.C. Jackson interception that started to shift the momentum a little bit. Buffalo carried the play and they ran all over the Patriots defense and they snuck away with a three point victory. Right. It's uh, it wasn't all that inspiring. If I were a bills fan, I wouldn't be too happy with the way that that game ended. Um, When you're able to run for 160 yards between your two running backs, that should, that's a pretty good day. Uh, The problem is, is like their decision-making Josh Allen's decision-making, I, I get that he's been better this year, a lot better than he's been so far in his career. But there's still, like, like that J.C. Jackson interception, I don't know if it was the wrong route that the guy ran. I think it was Stephon Diggs, the wrong, the wrong route, or if it was just a bad throw. It looked bad, though, <laughs> because J.C. Jackson just easily right into his breadbasket started running the other way. It, it's, it's tough when, when in situations like that. And I understand their defense is a little bit banged up, but the Patriots' offense is bad. Like, they are actually terrible on offense. And you allowed them to come within uh, three points, a Cam Newton fumble away from winning that game. Mm. It, yeah. it's, it's not a great look. So that's the uh, – the, the, there's in my opinion, there's going to be two elephants in the room when it comes to uh, the Patriots – having the hard discussion of why they lost yesterday's game. Number one's obviously going to be the fumble by Cam Newton. It's inexcusable. You got to hold on to the ball there. You got to do your coach. He said after the game, the coach trusts me to protect the ball in a situation like that. I need to do a better job of it. So it's, he knows it's wrong. The team knows it's wrong. If anybody's going to be pointing the finger at a singular player, you could point the finger at Newton. Once again, didn't really play that well, had difficulty throwing the ball, going through his progressions. I'm now of the mindset you tell it's it's Michael Vick circa 2004 2005 with with Cam Newton now if the first read's not there just go right just go because even if he gets beat up this year and physically is incapable of playing it will at least give him a shot of having a job mm-hmm. because he, he's not a pocket passer right he cannot complete passes at a high enough percentage, move the ball down the field, make the right decisions, put the ball in places where only his guys can get it. I mean, it, 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 sometimes it looks like he's a pitcher that's clanging the ball 15 feet in front of home plate. And the guy's like 20 yards away from him. Yeah. So I, I don't know if it's his throwing motion or whatever it is, but when we talked about before the season uh, how the fit would work, I said that I believed – they needed to completely change their offense towards Cam Newton. And we saw that earlier in the season. And then the last few weeks, they kind of got away from it. And then this week, it kind of looked like they went a little bit back to it. Cam Newton carrying the ball nine yeah. times again. Um, if you take the wheels off Cam Newton and just let him do, let him go wherever he wants to go, let him do whatever he wants to do. 
I think you're going to be more successful than trying to force him into throwing the ball 25, 30, 35 times a game from the pocket. This is why when people make the argument that being a quote-unquote system quarterback is a bad thing, when you are the quarterback, you are the system. Mm-hmm. And Cam Newton has the ability to improvise, not to the same extent that like a Russell Wilson, Pat Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers does, but he's certainly not the person who's going to be making three, five, seven step drops. First read, second read, third read. Okay. Now let me come back to my first read. It's just, it's not his strength. So you do have to tailor uh, your system around his strengths. Right. Which is why every quarterback is technically a system quarterback. (laughs) That's only Tom Brady. Yeah. Uh, Dylan, my, my chargers fan. Uh, texted me yesterday or texted uh, our group chat and was like, uh, you guys see what happened to the Chargers again? I was like, no, what happened? He was like, oh, they uh, blew a 16-point lead for like the fourth or fifth week in a row. 31 to 30, Denver comes away with the victory over the Chargers. I still think the Chargers are like the second best team in the NFC or the uh, AFC West. And somehow they're in last place. I I get that they're without Derwin James. I get that they have a rookie quarterback. I understand that Anthony Lynn's probably not the greatest coach that they could have, but eesh, not really a great sign moving forward for a young quarterback if you can't hold on to, to not just double digit, but like two score, three score type leads in the middle of a game. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't the best performance yesterday. He ended up, uh, Herbert ended up finishing 278 yards, three touchdowns, and two picks, which is not exactly what you'd like to see out of out of the rookie quarterback. But he's been good so far this season. He's been great. The The Broncos' defense, even without Vaughn Miller, is still pretty good, and I think a lot of that has to do with their head coach being Vic Fangio, who is a really good defensive coordinator. Um you just you can't lose these games. You can't keep losing these games. I'm 100% with you. The Chargers are, I think, one of the better rosters, at least, in football. And you can't be 2-5 and five with a roster that looks like that. Um, there should be serious looks at Anthony Lynn coming at the end of the season. There should be uh, serious looks at the defensive coordinator as well. Because 30 points, I mean, that should be enough in most offenses where you should be able to win with the, uh, with the amount of talent you have on that defense. Yeah, like, you, should, if, you should be able to win those games. If you're losing games when you're scoring 30, if you're losing games when you're scoring 24, it's not good enough. Like if your right. defense is allowing more than 24, really more than like 21 points a game, it's, it's just, it's not good. Right, especially with the amount of injuries that the Broncos have suffered this year. Like, yes, you get Philip Lindsay back. He just doesn't get a full, full workload at all. You're, you miss, you're missing Cortland Sutton for the whole year, Vaughn Miller for the whole year. Um, Tim Patrick didn't play yesterday, who's been really good for them so far this, this season. But with all these injuries, you can't, you can't lose that game. And the Chargers are not looking good so far. Meanwhile, future Patriots quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo left <laughs> yesterday's game against the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle pushed their record to 6-1 and one after a 37-27 victory. San Francisco falls to 500-4-4. Four four. I think San Francisco is now in jeopardy of not even making the playoffs in the NFC because the NFC West, there's four good teams, and they're taking a seventh team in the, uh, in the league this year to make the playoffs, but I don't know if San Francisco is going to be better than 
the Rams or the Cardinals and certainly not the Seahawks, especially after yesterday's performance. Yeah, it's going to be tough for them to get in for that seventh seed. They're probably going to be fighting with whoever it is from the NFC South that decides to make it as well. Um, it was, it didn't look good for Jimmy again when Nick Mullins came in and that offense kind of started working a lot better. <laughs> um, there have been a lot of, a lot of people talking about the offense looking more complete with other quarterbacks in the game. If you're able to get something from Jimmy Garoppolo for Jimmy Garoppolo uh, in this offseason and you feel comfortable, if you really feel comfortable and Kyle Shanahan needs to look himself in the mirror and, and ask himself, is having Nick Mullins or C.J. Beathard or XQB in the draft the same as having Jimmy Garoppolo and you can get that same production without having to spend all the money? That, that's a move that he might have to look at seriously. Well, and that's ultimately what I think about as, as like a coach general manager is the financial flexibility. They're going to have to re-sign Nick Bosa at some point. Right. And I'm sure that, you know, Garoppolo's got what, two years left on his deal? I believe so. You can sign Nick Bosa and not have to worry about Jimmy Garoppolo mm-hmm. going forward. But it would be nice to maybe give Bosa a contract now and save a couple of dollars by having some available money up front by getting rid of Jimmy Garoppolo or, you know, not bringing him back and not guaranteeing his salary for another season. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had an overtime game at the 425 window. New Orleans Saints come away with the 26-23 victory over the Chicago Bears. Chicago just like, I was in and out watching this game I don't know how they lost because the first like 10 minutes of the game, they were up like 13 to three or something. And then they just like couldn't move the ball. The second half was an absolute disaster. It was not a fun football game to watch at all. And I don't know if it's Matt Nagy. I think, I think I'm starting to lean towards it's a full Matt Nagy problem here in in Chicago. I think so. He, aside from his, I believe it was his first season where they really looked good. He's done absolutely nothing. And there have been, players i'm not sure if it was trubisky or Foles who said that they just don't that there have been conversations about they don't feel comfortable with this play calls they don't even understand like they're they don't think they're going to work so well that's great when, when you have when you have stuff that coming out from your quarterback saying that they don't have confidence in your play calling that that's a real problem that's that's literally like getting behind the wheel of the car and turning it on and saying to your passenger well I don't know if it's going to work, but we'll see. <laughs> exactly. Like it's not a good situation in Chicago right now. And for having a five and three record, that team has looked terrible in most of their games. Mm. They look like they belong in the NFC least. Yes. Which was a game that you vowed not to watch. Did you watch it? Uh, I had it on the small TV. Small TV. Okay. Fair. I chose not to watch it. I boycotted it. I was. I, going... I, tr- I tried to stick with my guns, and I, I had it just, just in the corner of my eye. It was 8.15. I had come upstairs. I was in my room, and I was getting ready to put the game on, and I remembered that you said you were going to boycott it, and I was like, you know what? I think it would be fun if I joined Mike in this, and I put on Trailer Park Boys, and I watched <laughs> that for two hours, three hours. I put, I put on like an anime on the top TV. Yeah. I, like, I want something in, in Japanese. So I have to pay attention. So I can't right. even read reading down. the subtitles. Yeah. Well, trailer park boys takes place in Canada and I keep the subtitles on for that because sometimes I have no idea what the fuck they're saying either. So. Exactly. Exactly. 
Uh, and then we got a game tonight. Buccaneers are going to be taking on the Giants, traveling to the Meadowlands. Tom Brady is going to be reintroducing himself to the Giants without Eli Manning. Uh, I mean, got to go with the Buccaneers here, right? Yeah, I saw an Instagram post that the NFL put up, and they were like, Tom Brady, Danny Dimes, who you got? And I was like, is that a question that people are asking right now? Well, I mean, what are we talking about, a foot race? Because I'll take Daniel Jones over almost any quarterback in the league not named Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I mean, Danny, Danny Dimes might be faster than Lamar Jackson. That's, that's the thing we might, be, we might be learning here. You know what? But, I haven't seen Danny Dimes and Lamar Jackson in the same room at the same time. They might be the same person. So fast that he can play two games simultaneously. Probably not, but... I'm sorry. Yeah, probably not. Um, I'm starting to question it. Yeah. <laughs> so, like I said, the, uh, the slate of games this week, it was good. Um, I would say overall not as exciting as last week. And now we're going to be getting into the, the, the real stretch, the second half of the season with week nine coming up. Uh, but before we get to week nine, we got ourselves a trade deadline and a trade deadline in the NFL that's going to probably be a little bit more active than recent years. And the trade deadline has been more active in recent years than, you know, a decade plus ago. Patriots might need to make some moves. Uh, Stefan Gilmore missed Sunday's game with an apparent injury. There have been rumors about him being on the block. Yeah. Would you, you have to get the air quotes with the, yeah, the injury, uh, <laughs> Rumors about him being on the block. I guess there was a report coming out of New England either yesterday or Saturday about really any player being available for the Patriots. If you were, you know, I think, I think last week or a couple of weeks ago, I asked you if you were you in Bill Belichick's job. Now I'm going to actually put Bill Belichick's brain in your body. Bill's got to make a decision on this team. Who am I keeping? Who am I getting rid of? Who am I investing in long-term, short-term? And who do I think is going to actually be uh, what this team needs going forward past 2020? Um, I think there's a good conversation to be had about a lot of these players. Stefan Gilmore, uh, I, th- I don't know if we talked about it in the last episode or if that was even news before then. Um, I think he had been missing like individual practices, but he had put his house on the market and put the the sale date as the an hour before an hour after the trade deadline. Oh no, really? Yeah, oh, like no. he, he said, like I, it was this weekend. He put his house on the market for this weekend, like showings, and then um, final call on bids was one after, hour after the trade deadline on tu- on Tuesday. That's a little suspicious considering he still has one year left on his contract. <laughs> it is uh, certainly something to take a look at. Um, well, you know, it's a tough economy. Sometimes you have to be able to capitalize on the housing market. And that's true. if you're a professional athlete, nothing's ever guaranteed, especially in football. So you want to jump at any opportunity you can. So if he can downsize for the next couple of seasons and rent, you know, he'll be able to line his pockets a little bit more and set himself up for uh, success in the future. I mean, he will need it too, especially if he's playing under like the seven million dollars he's going to be making next year on this contract. He's, he's got to be gone though, right? Like, oh, big time. There's, there's no chance. He, he will be traded if not tomorrow. I mean, today or tomorrow, he will be traded by this off season. But the, it's very, very strange 
peculiar, I would say, that he suffered in, quote-unquote, again, injury heading right. into this week. Right. Like, now you have a guy who, oh, he didn't get hurt this weekend. So now you guarantee to be healthy to a team you're going to turn to. Yeah, there's, there's no question about it that uh, he's at least on the trade block and they're listening to offers. Whether or not they're going to get an offer that would be tantalizing enough to actually justify pulling the trigger on a trade, that's to be decided. If I were Belichick, or, or I'm thinking Belichick probably wouldn't take anything less than a first and a third. Because, what was it, last year you got two firsts for Jalen Ramsey and two firsts went for, um, oh, who was the corner that got traded to... Is it Peters? Yeah, Peters get traded. Did he? I don't think he went for two firsts, but you had legitimate high-end cornerbacks last year getting traded in season for multiple first-round picks. Right. And now you have the reigning defensive player of the year who is in his 30s, but he's like 29, 30. Like right. That type of 30. Uh, so not on really the, the upside, probably closer to the downside of his career but doesn't make a lot of money compared to the other defensive backs in the league. I mean, he's a bargain for a team that's competing for a championship, you know, this year and next year. Could you imagine him going to Seattle? Right. That's a, that's a team I've been thinking about this whole, um, during the last couple of weeks is if, if you're a team that is a cornerback away from, from winning it all, like, like a Seattle could be, I think that that's a move you should be making. I don't necessarily think that they're going to get top dollar for them because a, you know, he's disgruntled um, B he's not going to play under the $7 million that he's getting next year. So he's going to need a new contract at some point. And the end, like you said, he's at 30 or in going into his thirties. Like the best comparison in my mind to that is Darius Slay from last year mm, when I think Darius Slay might've, I think he went for like a third. So it's it's tough. Like I think you should be getting a two. Like the I think quality, you should be. Yeah, because the quality of player is better. It it is. I don't think Gilmore has been all that great this year. I agree. Uh, and maybe part of that is because he's unmotivated or he feels like he's unpaid. Like, I, I don't know. Whatever it is, but he doesn't look like the same player that he was last year. You know, to be completely honest with you, I've always kind of thought Stefan Gilmore to be slightly overrated. You oh know, yeah. He, he he plays in an era where the top-end elite cornerback is not really the all-time, all-pro, you know, Hall of Fame-level quarterback like we've had for the last, like, 30 or 40 years. You know, it was like every five to ten years, you had a new cornerback that was at the top of his game for a short period of time, but they were playing at a, a planet-player level. You know, Revis, Sherman, uh, Ty Law, Champ Bailey, it was, it was like we were living in the golden age of cornerbacks. Right. Woodson. And now you've got guys that are, you know, Jalen Ramsey. He's considered one of the top two, top three cornerbacks in the league, but what has he really ever done? Right. Other than have, uh, you know, swagger, which is very important at that position. It is. Very it is. important at that position. Um, but there are definitely other names that I think could be on the block. Um, like Joe Tooney is a guy who he is playing under the franchise tag this year. They drafted Owenu, who's been really good so far this season. Maybe you're able to slide him in and you can get a piece back for Joe Tooney. You're already probably going to get a third in 20, 
2022 Two. draft yeah. um, because of the um, the pick coming back for for losing him. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe so. Maybe you accelerate that and get a second or a third coming back uh, in this year's draft or something. Uh, but at this point right now, the Patriots are going to be in third place in this division, and I think that's probably going to be the way they're going to finish the division. Mm-hmm. So I would be willing to sell everybody. Unless, unless you're a first or second year player, like I'm not, I'm not getting rid of Michael Owenu. I'm not getting rid of Chase Winovich just yet. JC Jackson, I'm keeping. Um, some of these younger guys, and even oh, like, I'm keeping Uche. Uche looked good so far in his limited snaps. I don't think he played all that much yesterday, but he looked good. He looked good in the, the few situations that he was in in the game. I'm just excited to finally have two legitimate because I, I think that chase winovich is absolutely a legitimate edge rusher he's just you know he's young and inexperienced but he had a good season last year what was it like five and a half six and a half sacks or something as a rookie mm-hmm. um in limited snaps uj is going to be very similar type of story they're going to bring him along slowly but i think that they're like you're not going to be able to stop these guys three four years down the road once they really get a feel for this league you're going to have a guy coming off the left side and the right side simultaneously and quarterbacks aren't going to be able to do anything about it. And if Bill can find a legitimate defensive tackle to plug the holes in the middle, quarterbacks aren't going to be able to step up in the pocket either. So their, their timing is going to be next to nothing. So, and that helps out the secondary a lot. And we know that with McCourty getting older and Chung getting older, they drafted Kyle Duggar. They're probably going to need to pick up another safety or two in the next year or so this team's going to look a lot different on both sides of the ball, a lot different on both sides of the ball. And I think it starts, uh, you know, between today and tomorrow because the trade deadline is tomorrow at four o'clock. Uh, and I think there's going to be some action a lot, uh, along the entire, or across the entire league. Um, any other big names that you see possibly moving or rumors that, you know, could be leaking out? I've heard John Ross in Cincinnati has requested a trade. I mean, he's only caught two catches this year and was drafted ninth overall in 2017, 16, 17, 17. Sounds right. Yeah. One selection before Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> it's a tough hit. Once again, um, Cincinnati. Just. <laughs> Uh, as far as like big names, I don't, I don't really see anybody like you, you mentioned John Ross. I mean, he's going to be a team's third receiver. Um, there, there hasn't been too much talk. I know Rappaport tweeted out earlier today about Desmond King, who is an all pro, uh, slot cornerback for the Chargers. Um, that would be a nice fit for a, a team. Again, another team like Seattle, who's looking to, to just share up their secondary, um, there hasn't been too much, too many names floated out there so far. If, if I'm the Eagles and a team, this the tough thing is that it's Dallas who needs the quarterback. Right. Uh, and I'm not sure if you really want to give him uh, to, to your division rival who's potentially trying to beat you out for the division this year. Um, there may be some calls on Carson Wentz. I'm not sure from, from who other than again, Dallas is the team that clearly needs uh, clearly needs the quarterback help. But after not paying attention to last night's game, most, most of the, most of the game, uh, I would say that 
they are probably looking to move on from him. Yeah, I, I did see that uh, he said in his post-game interview that he was happy the Eagles came away with the win, but he's unsatisfied with his performance. And boy, Carson Wentz, when, when he looks bad, he looks bad. Yeah. He looks, yep. looks, looks uh, a little rough. Um, but one of the reasons that we talk about the trade deadline is uh, the possibility of acquiring draft picks, which I think is what uh, the Patriots are going to have to do in order to rebuild this team most effectively, get cheap young talent that you can sort of groom into the quote-unquote Patriot way uh, because gone are the days where you're going to be able to get veterans that haven't won anything that are going to come to New England and take to coaching and maybe take a lesser role just because they want a chance at a championship. You're going to be scraping at the bottom of the barrel for a lot of players unless you're willing to overpay for them. And I don't think that's in the DNA of Bill Belichick or Robert Kraft mm-hmm. or Jonathan Kraft for that matter. So one of the things that I like doing is, uh, well, not literally, exercises, mm-hmm. mental exercises. Right? We've played some games on, the, on this podcast in, in past episodes. And I sent you a text last night with an idea that I was concerned was going to sound really confusing because of like how I phrased it. But basically what I thought about was in the last 20 years, Bill Belichick has um, drafted a lot of players, enough players to essentially make a starting lineup for an offense, a defense and a special teams. Like if you just take the kicker and the punter and I started thinking to myself, you know, he's, he's been criticized a lot for his drafting ability, whether it's taking players too early or missing on players or trading back and, and trying to, you know, get more value by collecting three ponies for one horse. Or, and I, I just wanted to take a little bit of a deeper dive and see what kind of a team we could put together if we just selected players from Bill Belichick's draft with the Patriots. So every single one of these players that we're going to be naming, and as far as personnel goes, we decided to go uh, three, four on defense. So three defensive linemen, four linebackers, two safeties, two cornerbacks. And then on offense, we decided to go with uh, three wide receivers, one tight end and one running back. So pretty standard personnel for the modern game. Um, and every single one of these players will have had to have been drafted by the Patriots from the year 2000 to the year 2020. Uh, how do you want to do this? How do you want to go about it? Do you want to go team by team, position by position, year by year? Let's go position by position. All right, cool. Let's go uh, offense, defense, or special teams. How are we starting this off? Let's start out with offense. Offense. All right. Uh, who's your quarterback? You know, it was really tough for me, but I went Matt Castle. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, clear, clearly, we went with uh, Tom Brady. I think that was kind of an easy decision for both of us. Yeah, Tom Brady drafted in the year 2000. Uh, Bill Belichick's first draft with the Patriots, sixth round. Everybody knows the story. Uh, really, the, as I looked closer into that draft, the only other player that I thought may have been added to one of these teams, and it's like a very, 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 very uh, – Difficult case to make would have been J.R. Redman, the, yeah. the running back that played like two or three years to the Patriots, but was the underrated reason why they won Super Bowl 36 was that mm-hmm. final drive. I think he had like the first three or four receptions 
on on the drive that set up the game-winning field goal for Adam Vinatieri. Uh, a lot of people forget about it. J.R. Redmond, not Kevin Falk, not Antoine Smith. It was number 21, J.R. Redmond, that made that move. Exactly. But he wasn't the running back that I selected. The running back that I selected was drafted in 2014. I went with James White. I doubled down on James White as well. Yeah. I think uh, the other options available was like Shane Vereen, Stephen Ridley, Lawrence Maroney. Yep, I was I was tossing up between um, Maroney and and Ridley if I wanted to go with a regular like a a, a two down back. Yeah. But I think I think White can do enough running the ball, um, and obviously his pass catching is off the charts. So and and you know like like I said, we, we wanted to do the personnel in the proper way. Like if I had said, all right, we're gonna choose a fullback and go twenty one personnel, heavy set, then yeah, you'd probably want to go with a Ridley or Maroney, someone who's going to be more of a between the tackles runner. Uh, but modern game, it's all about passing. It's all about speed. It's all about blitz protection. James White is, I think, the best third down back the Patriots have had ever. I, I agree with that statement. A lot of people will put Kevin Falk up there, but I think I think White has had uh, more success so far. Mm. I'm assuming that we probably have the same tight end as well. Uh, uh, you, you went with uh, Daniel Graham as well? No, I took Benjamin Watson. Oh, damn. Same draft. We were like we were real, real, real close. We were there right around. Another, right there was actually another uh, draft where the Patriots selected two tight ends as well. In 2020, they selected Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene. Oh yes. Neither one played yesterday. It was awesome. Great times had by all. I took Gronk. Same. I mean, potentially greatest tight end of all time for in the NFL. So. Yeah, and, and it, really when I wanted to include the years for all these players because I wanted to see when Belichick really nailed the draft. Mm-hmm. Early in his career, late in his career, you know, in the middle, anything like that. 2010, he fucking crushed it. Oh, well, I think that was his best draft. Definitely up there. 2010, 2003, 2012, and 2016, I have as, as very good drafts for, uh, for Belichick. Yeah, but mostly 2010, 2012, and 2003. All right, yeah. So picking up on wide receivers, then we had to select three. Uh, do you want to just do all three all at the same time, or do you want to go one at a time? Yeah, let's do all three. All right. Uh, so who who'd you pick? So I think this is a position where I finally um, kind of realized uh, the the weak spot in Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that we've not like, it's not something that hasn't gone unnoticed um, during his tenure. Uh, I decided to go with Julian Edelman, Dion branch and Malcolm Mitchell was my last. Wow. Person. Yeah. That's a, okay. Malcolm Mitchell. <laughs> okay. All right. That is, mm. it's tough. Cause Malcolm Mitchell only played like two years. Um, but I think for me looking at, the rest of the wide receivers that he took, there hasn't been a ton of production there. <laughs> That's a tough one though. Cause like you said, he played like two years and he really only played like 10 games, but he was fucking awesome in the Super Bowl against Atlanta. Yep. He, he had some, some clutch moments. His touchdown against uh, San Francisco, I think it was, um, was awesome. Like he, he had, he had great games and he was what, one of in a in a long time, he was the first guy in a, in a very long time that had Brady's trust his rookie year. Felt yeah, like. it it really is a damn shame that uh, his body just 
skate out, whether it was his knees, his legs, his arms, his hands, his head, his chest. I don't know. It's like, he's just like, he, his skin was made of paper and his bones were made of glass. Every morning he breaks his arms and every night he breaks his legs. <laughs> I use that reference like once a week. And <laughs> Do you really? Yeah. Everybody's like, what is that from? <laughs> uh, but you know, Malcolm Mitchell, uh, yeah, he was he was a stud. I did also go with Dion Branch, drafted in two thousand three. Julian Edelman, drafted in two thousand nine. My third receiver. It's tough, but I also went with a guy who was on a team that won multiple Super Bowls. I went David Givens, also drafted in two thousand three. You know, mm-hmm. coming away with Branch and Givens in two thousand three. That's easily Belichick's best draft for wide receivers. Easily, oh, yeah. and neither one of those guys is really like uh, take the top off the defense run the ball, you know, uh, down the field, stretch the, stretch the defense, that type of, they were like smaller guys that found the open positions and made the necessary catches. And mm-hmm. the same thing can be said for Edelman. So, you know, that's the type of receiver that Belichick's always had success with, but he always tends to go with the more physically gifted guys that never really turn into much. Right. Now, offensive line can be a little subjective, I didn't necessarily say we had to go two tackles, two guards, and a center. I did. I ended up picking that way anyway. Yeah. Um, as far as, like, the left guard, right guard, left tackle, right t- like, it's, it's up in the air. Mm-hmm. Like, I have two left tackles and two left guards, but these guys can play anywhere. Fair. Uh, who, who do you have as your tackles? So, at left tackle, I had Matt Light. Um, and then I, I did go each individual tackle. Um, so I did Matt Light at left tackle and right tackle. I put Sebastian Vollmer. Okay, so I also chose Matt Light to protect Tom Brady's blind side. And on the right side, I went with Nate Solder, who was drafted in 2011. Matt Light drafted in 2001. So mm-hmm. big, big year for the Patriots in, the, in that, uh, that draft as well. Um, Nate Solder did start off his career as the right tackle for the Patriots in his rookie season, filling in as kind of like the uh, – uh, what's the, the, the term? Like a swing tackle? Swing tackle. I was going to say stretch tackle <laughs> or switch tackle. Switch tackle. Uh, I mean, that worked as well. But I wanted to be right. Swing tackle. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I, Nate Solder on the right. Matt Light on the right. Wouldn't matter to me. Those are my tackles. Uh, what about your guards? Who, are you, who were your two guards? Uh, again, I did break it up into the left and right. So I had Logan Mankins at left guard. Uh, I think he... Has a shot to go to the hall, to the NFL Hall of Fame. I think he has a chance to be a gold jacket. Um, and at right guard, I went with Shaq Mason. Uh, Shaq's been really good so far in his career. He's extremely athletic, can pull very well, uh, good in pass, good in run, kind of kind of good all over. If I if I were to go um, just straight up guards, and I was able to put a left guard in that position, I might have taken Tooney over. Wait, yeah, which is what but, I did, but it was kind of like a coin toss between. Mason and Tooney it really just came down to which one I think is better right and I, I, I figured you know Tooney's probably a little bit better than Mason uh his fucking contract certainly says he's better than Mason <laughs> whether or not he stays with the team is another thing to be decided mm-hmm. but uh, you really can't go wrong with either one of those guys Dan uh, uh Logan Mankins drafted in 2005 Joe Tooney drafted in 2016 Shaq Mason drafted in 2014 uh, yeah, I believe that was the 14 draft. Yeah. Fifth. Jack Mason actually 14. drafted after uh, another guard 
Trey Jackson, who Trey I thought was going to be <laughs> something Trey special. Jackson, starting left guard of that, uh, I believe, that Super Bowl against the Seahawks. Uh, that was Dan Connolly. Dan Connolly played in that game? No, not Dan Connolly. It was Ryan Wendell. It, it was Wendell. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Because they switched Wendell from center to guard and placed Stork in the middle. Mm-hmm. That, that makes sense. Yeah. <clears throat> I love that Super Bowl. It's the best Super Bowl they played so far. It really, really is. All right, so we pretty much have the same team on offense minus, you know, two offensive linemen and one receiver. So it's pretty much dead nuts what Belichick has done being able to put together an offensive system. And to be honest with you, these players that he's drafted over the last 20 years, and they do take up, a, a, you know, two decades worth of drafts, they could play in any era. Mm-hmm. Did, so. did we give our centers? Oh, center. Yeah, that's right. I forgot to, to say center. Who's your center? Uh, center, I have Dan Copen. Dan Copen, yeah. <laughs> so we could just slide that part right in. Right, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have essentially the exact same lineup on offense. Right. And none of these offensive linemen mean anything without Dante Scarnecchia, so we'll, we'll put him on the staff as well. <laughs> We'll say that he's a, a... Bring him in. Yeah, why not? Uh, do you want to do defense or do you want to do special teams? Let's, let's do special teams. Let's switch it up a little bit. Special teams. All right. So, again, special teams, I only had us selecting one kicker and one punter because Belichick's only drafted in his Patriots career, to my knowledge, two kickers and two punters. <laughs> exactly. So really not a whole lot to choose from. Once again, I think we're probably going to have the same selections here, but there can be an argument to be made for one position. That position is not kicker. Who's your kicker? Steven Goskowski. So not Justin Rohrwasser, the guy that they (laughs) selected in the fifth round last year. Tough miss. Make the team. Yeah. It was a real Uh, close decision. After much deliberation, I decided to go with Goskowski. I went with Goskowski as well. Drafted in 2006. That was obviously the year after they uh, let Adam Vinatieri go. Gostowski comes in, does a pretty good job in his, his rookie season. And then in uh, 2007, Super Bowl 42, Belichick doesn't trust him to kick like a 43-yard field goal and instead goes for like a fourth and 13, fourth and 14. The Patriots lose by three points. I, I blocked that entire day out of my memory. I don't know mm. what you're even talking about. Who's your punter? I have Jake Bailey. <laughs> I also took Jake Bailey because I think he's better than the other guy. But the other guy that Belichick selected, not a bad punter. That's Zoltan, Zoltan Mesco. Zoltan Mesco was a decent punter for like a year bad. and a half. Yeah. Like, he, he wasn't here very long. And then he ends up bringing in the undrafted free agent, Ryan Allen, who pretty much takes you up to 2019. And, uh, and Ryan Allen would have been the clear choice if we could take undrafted players. Ooh, see, I don't know. I think I still might have taken Jake Bailey. Ryan Allen should have won MVP in that Super Bowl against the Rams. He probably should have. <laughs> um, but he, I mean, it's tough. Like, as a punter, like, unless you're the Raiders and you're drafting Shane Leckler in, like, the second round, <laughs> you know, punters are a dime a dozen. If you're drafting a punter, it's probably a bad sign. Yeah. Like, it's not, not great. Punters need to be undrafted players. Mm-hmm. So, defense is where things get a lot of fun for me. Because defense is where you can make the argument he has at least three to four Hall of Famers. 
and I don't know if all these guys are going to make the Hall of Fame, but the, the players that Belichick has selected on defense and coached on defense, I think, have certainly had more success individually than the players on offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, outside of Brady, Gronkowski, and Edelman, you could make the case. So let's start with the defensive line. Again, three defensive linemen, and you know, it can get a little funky as far as explaining the personnel positions. You know, are you doing ends or tackles or just less? So I just said straight up the defensive line. Right. So who are your three defensive linemen? So my three defensive linemen, again, this is uh, it's tough to, to qu- kind of quantify what a defensive end versus outside linebacker. So I had them playing in like a like an old school style three, four, where you want big bodies out there. Yep. That's what um, I did too. So I had uh Richard Seymour, Vince Wilfork and Ty Warren were my three. Wow. All right. So once again, we have essentially the exact same selections. Richard Seymour, I took, he's drafted in 2001, another gold jacket candidate, Vince mm-hmm. Wilfork in the middle, anchoring down that nose tackle position drafted in 2004. Again, possible gold jacket, uh, candidate i didn't go with ty warren for my other end i actually went with trey flowers mm-hmm. drafted in 2016 i think that trey flowers probably has more upside than warren but warren had a very fine career with the patriots very right. fine career yeah i think i think that was the the decision i was kind of making too between those two and like you said a lot of this came down to one player in particular that Belichick had drafted that is sort of that combo end linebacker. And I think we're going to have him as well. And he didn't play any linebacker in new England, but fuck it. He can. So that's why I I put him as linebacker. Um, I'll just say it. Chandler Jones is one of my, one of my linebackers drafted in 2012. Gold jacket Uh, guy. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's a gold jacket guy. He'll, he'll mm-hmm. certainly be. he'll be a gold jacket guy simply because he won a Super Bowl in New England and then collected all his stats in Arizona. Yep. That, that's like all you need. It's like the reverse Junior Seau. <laughs> Except Junior Seau never actually won a Super Bowl. He was close. He was close. A couple of times he was close. Um, who else do you have a linebacker? Uh, so – they're pretty much all like newer age guys when you think of them, um, for the most part. Uh, Gerard Mayo, uh, I had a middle linebacker along with Jamie Collins, and my other outside linebacker being Dante Hightower. We have the exact same foursome at linebacker. And to be honest with you, linebacker is one of the best positions Bill Belichick's ever coached, and this is going all the way back to the beginning of the dynasty in the early 2000s. You know, Ted Johnson, Teddy Bruschi, Roman Pfeiffer, Willie McGinnis, Mike Vrabel. Uh, you could even throw in like Brandon Spikes. Like Brandon mm-hmm. Spikes had a couple of decent seasons with New England. It wasn't great, but linebacker is certainly a position of strength for Belichick. The only problem was it took him about 10 years to start drafting his own because he had inherited so many great players from the previous regime in New England. Exactly. Now the secondary is another <laughs> position that he seems to struggle with yeah Um, do you want to do cornerbacks first or safeties first let's do let's do safeties first all right who do you have as uh as your first safety i have devin mccourty i also have devin mccourty part of that 2010 draft who's your second safety 
I have Patrick Chung. I took Pat Chung too. Let's go on the same wavelength right now. Little, little bit of a toss-up, though, between him and Deron Harmon. My justification ended up being Deron Harmon's essential. He's your center fielder, cover three, mm-hmm. four minutes left to go in the game. You're up by 10. You know they're going to throw the ball, and he's just going right. to intercept the Hail Mary. Like, like, we never got to see him do, like, actual safety duties because we were so lucky to have McCordy in that position for so long. Right. And he's not really like a box safety like like a guy like Patrick Chung was. Patrick Chung in his first go around was not good. No, <laughs> no, very unimpressive. Took, went took, to Philly uh, and then came back. Yes, and then he was good again. I don't, yes. I don't know what happened there. Uh, he realized what good coaching is compared to bad coaching, probably. Probably that must have been it. Was he? Mc- yeah. Was he with the Chip Kelly team in Philly? No. Uh, ooh. Hmm. So he was drafted in 09, and then I think he went to Philadelphia for 2012 and 2013. So he probably was, right? Because Reed left in 2012, and then I think Kelly's year was 13. It might have been 14, actually. No, I think it was 13. So he was with the Eagles in 2013. Philadelphia. Yeah, I think that's that was the year Chip Kelly was there. He was well, he was there for two years. Yep, Chip Kelly. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the difference. That's going from Belichick <laughs> to Kelly back to Belichick. Oh, now I know how to play football. Right. Now yeah, I, was, I know what I'm supposed to do. I was thinking. I was like, 2013. Andy Reid wasn't still there then. And I was like, oh, Chip Kelly. <laughs> I I just remembered Chung being I went to a preseason game his rookie year and he made a play on special teams and I was like, ooh, he's good. He's exciting wearing number 25. And then he was like gone in three years. I'm like, well, he's never gonna turn into anything. Goes to mm-hmm. Philadelphia, just totally disappears, comes back to New England, changes his number. Now all of a sudden he's one of Belichick's greatest draft picks. Go figure. Go goes on to the uh all 2000s team. Yes. All 21st decade team. Yep. Uh, all right. Cornerback. It, it's another one that I think there's a good one. And then it, <laughs> pick 50 your feet of crap. Yeah. What do you got? Asante Samuel is my number one. Mm-hmm. Um, Asante Samuel's son is in this draft this year. I know. We're old. We're old as fuck. I think like three weeks ago, he had two interceptions for Florida State, too. Yeah. He's like, the, I think he's supposed to be like the number three ranked cornerback coming into the draft. Yeah. He's, he's a legitimate player. I've, I've had to watch some college football games this year, which actually not that bad. Like now that I understand how to watch college football, mm-hmm. like the conferences and what the difference is between a ranked team and an unranked team and how it really doesn't matter until January. Right. It's not a bad product. Like, it's kind of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. It just makes me feel ancient that I looked at the the cornerback rankings for this upcoming draft and it was like Patrick Sir- Sertan Jr., Asante Samuel Jr. <laughs> I was right. like, I was like, I'm really old now. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, I also chose Asante Samuel as one of my cornerbacks, but uh, who's your second? My second cornerback was Logan Ryan. So was mine. <laughs> Logan Ryan's rookie year was incredible. And I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of Logan Ryan. I think uh 
I think his rookie year, I called him the future of the New England Patriots, <laughs> and um, he didn't end up lasting that long. I believe he led. I believe he led the league in interceptions his rookie year, um, and then since then he's kind of jumped around. Went to Tennessee. I think he's now with the Giants. Yes. Um, yes, because but, he's the one that snapped Dak Prescott's ankle in half. Ooh, yes. Um, but I think I think Logan Ryan was actually good while he was here. It's just he shouldn't be the second best cornerback you've drafted in twenty years. And and to be honest with you, I know I I know. I don't know for a fact, but I can figure. Belichick's not doing this exercise. He's not looking at players that he's drafted and saying, okay, this is a position of strength. This is a position of weakness. This is why this is a position of weakness. These are the type of players that I should go after. These are the type of players I have success with. Because it's very easy to see when you lay things out, wide receiver and cornerback, he struggles with. And it's very clear. Like it, it's been something that's been known for, for, for years now. It's not like a new thing. And there was, there was that decade where they did not win anything. They went to two Super Bowls, but they lost both of them to the Giants. They didn't really have a legitimate number one corner. After they had let go Ty Law and they brought in Asante Samuel, they drafted him. And Samuel actually uh, was the, the starting cornerback in, in Super Bowl 39 because Ty Law had gotten injured that year. But after Asante Samuel leaves, goes to free agency, and, and joins the, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, you're talking about a black hole at that position. It was terrible. Absolute black hole. It took until signing Darrell Revis in 2014 before you actually had another legitimate number one corner. And then, I'm sorry, you lucked into Malcolm Butler. Mm-hmm. Th- those were the, the Ellis Hobbs, the... Terrence Wheatley's, the Jonathan, Jonathan Will height, <laughs> all, all those guys. Yeah, definitely not a uh, position of strength for Belichick. But I, I think we're obviously in agreement. As spotty as his draft record is, he still puts together a fucking phenomenal team. Bart Scott said he should be fired this week. It's, be, it's just because his coaching ability is so much better than his drafting ability, but I think that's the case for most coaches. You know, who's the best drafter in the history of the NFL? History? It's probably, like, one of the guys from San Francisco or Dallas or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say, like, either Dallas or Pittsburgh back in, like, the 70s. Ooh, Pittsburgh drafting wide receivers. I think they're probably untouchable. Pittsburgh's GM right now is, is great. Yeah. Um. But no, I mean, I think this is, this is good. And obviously the draft is going to be of a lot of importance this year. Huge emphasis on the uh, positions of need at receiver, at quarterback, possibly offensive line, defensive line. And, uh, you know, maybe they'll take a stab at adding somebody in the secondary once again. That'd be nice. Yeah. Do you want to do picks? Let's do picks. Let's do picks. Uh, last week, the picks did not go very well. Uh, again, I tweeted them out after uh, the games were over, and we went one and five. Congratulations on your win. <laughs> well, room for improvement as a team. We do this together, right? So collectively, we sucked. We can only set up for a, a great bounce back. Right. All right, so uh, next week is week nine in the NFL. Starts off on Thursday night, goes into Sunday, Monday. What's your first game? Who are you, who are you taking in your first game? 
I have the Packers minus three over the 49ers. I believe that's the Thursday night game. That is the Thursday night game. Uh, as I alluded to earlier in the episode, I believe Aaron Rodgers is going to come into this game pretty upset. The fact that they lost that game to Minnesota. Um, 49ers defense has been banged up. I don't know if they're going to bring people back right away, especially on a short week. Um, so I could see I could see the, the Packers going out here and, and bringing the 49ers out to the woodshed. I think that's a great pick, actually, because George Kittle left yesterday's game, and uh, they're not 100% certain that he's going to be playing on Thursday either. So San Francisco sitting at 4-4, four and four, looking up, realizing they're going to have to overcome three teams just to probably make the playoffs. I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be a tough test to try and beat green Bay. I, I like that pick. I think that's a good one. Thank you. I think, I think that's a very good pick actually. <laughs> I always uh, am a big fan. Anytime the Ravens and Colts play each other because Ravens fans absolutely hate the Indianapolis Colts other than the Pittsburgh Steelers, maybe the new England Patriots. There is not a team in the league that Ravens fans and probably the Ravens franchise hates more than Indianapolis. And it all has to do with something that happened like 40 years ago when fucking Ursay's father just like packed up his football team in the middle of the night and left Baltimore to go to Indianapolis. That's yeah, a, it's a tough look. Um, it's hysterical. But uh, Baltimore is favored in that game. They're minus three. They're going to have to bounce back. Indianapolis is a good team, but I just think Baltimore is that much better. I think they cover the spread. I think I'm going to, I'm going to go with Baltimore minus three at, at minus 110. That was my second pick. So we are, we are right in lockstep there. There you go. Uh, next pick, how can you pick against the Kansas City Chiefs in anything? I don't care what the spread is. They're so much better than everybody that they play as long as it's not like a legitimate team. Minus 12 against the Carolina Panthers. That's easy money. That should be easy work for them. Easy money. What's your third game? So I tried, I try to always go, I try to go with two favorites and an underdog. The underdog slate this week is a little tougher. Um, I went with the Jets plus seven and a half against the Patriots uh, on Monday Night Football. And it hurts. Uh, if the Patriots aren't able, this is this is kind of like a win-win thing for me. <laughs> oh, it's totally a win-win thing. I was just about to say I'd have a massive heart on if they lost to the Jets because <laughs> now I know which direction they're going in. Right, like either either the Jets the Jets win this game by a fair amount. The Patriots, I I win my my pick. I win my money, and the Patriots are are now tanking as they should be, um, or the Patriots win as they should. And I maybe see something out of this game. I just don't. I don't have a ton of confidence in the Patriots right now to to go out and win a game by eight points. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot of confidence in the Patriots to score touchdowns. Like I was yeah. shocked that they actually scored touchdowns yesterday. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's been weeks. It it was I think six quarters they had yeah, gone without scoring a touchdown on offense. It's insane. Uh, yeah, I mean the underdog slate this week is, coming up is it's a tough one. You know I'm looking at Detroit as a three and a half point underdog against the Vikings. Vikings obviously coming off that win against the Packers, impressive. Dalvin Cook ran all over their defense. Is he going to be able to you know 
do the exact same thing against the Lions, probably because they're the Lions and they're coached <laughs> by Matt Patricia. Uh, the Raiders, once again, one and a half point fa- uh, underdogs against the Chargers. That's basically like a pick them, but you know, I, I, I like the Raiders as a team. I like the Chargers as a team. So definitely fair for the spread to be that close, but I'm going to do it, Mike. I'm going to do it. I'm going to try and turn the, uh, turn the winds. Denver is an underdog against the Atlanta Falcons this week by four points. And I am going to take the Denver Broncos to at the very least cover the spread, but I think they are going to win outright. I'm not going to go with them on the money line, but I'll take them plus four at minus one ten. So no better off you than me. I mean, we, I will not make the same mistake eight times in a row. I might make it like two or three, but I, in order to make a mistake, you have to at least attempt it. True. This is my attempt. Maybe you're the Falcons whisperer we've all been looking for. Right. And then I just become like a multimillionaire by picking Falcons games. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're living in a cardboard box from losing all your money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, well, I think that's probably going to do it for another episode of Moving the Goalposts. But before we end, uh, you know, like always, I want to know either, you know, what what you're looking forward to this week, if you are looking forward to anything this week. But maybe just your final take, you know, something that we haven't mentioned, maybe something that has been on your mind, uh, a a random sort of like agenda-free type topic. Let's, Let's morph this into something a little bit more than just what we're looking forward to. Uh, Mike, what's your final blow? So this week um, on Netflix, Chappelle show came out oh. on Netflix. And I'm one of those people who I've watched all Dave Chappelle's standups. I've never seen a second of his show. What? Never seen it. Oh my God. So Dude, I'm going to, I'm going to get the chance to watch it. And literally people I'm better not sorry, be hyping I, i'm sorry i keep interrupting you the first fucking episode it hits so hard the final sketch that they do is an all-time great sketch probably seen it before but being able to like see it in the entire context of the show it's so funny dave Chappelle is is comedy gold absolute comedy gold like I, I've seen, I've seen bits and pieces like on on Twitter and stuff. Like you always get like the the Rick James and the um, the dude who's got like always scratching his face. I can't remember the the name of that sketch. Um, oh, Tyrone. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, but people have been hyping it up for a long time, so I'm ready to to see what it, see what it's about. Um, I love his stand up. I think he's I think he's hilarious and. Uh, I think I think people will probably be right about this one. Unlike the Mandalorian, which I just don't I just don't get the hype on it. I watched it. I watched the first two episodes and I was like, I guess like this is okay. But people have just been hyping it up like it's the best product, and maybe that's because I'm not fully in in enveloped into the Star Wars universe like everybody else is. If you do certainly have an appreciation for it when you understand the context of what's going on, um, it does start off a little slow it picks up a little bit more but i will say if you're not like totally invested by the first two or three episodes it's it's probably going to be more of the same for you you know similar to how people love the lord of the rings 
and I just look at it as a bunch of people walking around in, in three movies. <laughs> uh, just don't really get it. And maybe even to a lesser extent, Game of Thrones. Like, I, I can see why it would be a good show. I'm just, it's not my cup of tea. I'm just, right. not, I'm not a fantasy type guy outside of like Harry Potter and Magic Treehouse. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super happy though now that Netflix is, has Chappelle show again. I'm excited to watch. I'm going to go with a, uh, a, a sports-related final blow. Maybe not necessarily something that I'm looking forward to this week because I don't know when it's going to happen, but Red Sox are deep in the process of hiring a new manager. And it certainly seems like they're in the process of rehiring an old manager because I think that there's 100% slam dunk, no doubt about it, Alex Cora is coming back to manage the Red Sox in 2021. And I think that that's a little bit of a bittersweet situation because I trust them as a manager. I just wish that they could have gone in a different direction and kind of, you know, moved on from the stain that could in theory cover the 2018 championship. I, I I just think once you see AJ Hinch go out and get signed, I think that gives it like full, like go ahead. Like just go, go ahead. You can sign whatever you want. Look, look, they were both handed punishments. They served their punishments. It's kind of what we do in America. If you commit a crime, you're sentenced to a punishment, you serve your punishment, you serve your time, and then you're given a second chance. It's kind of like the great thing about this country. Uh, It's just a little fishy that the Red Sox are like, well, he didn't cheat with us. He cheated with Houston, so he'll serve his punishment, and we won't say anything. Uh, and then we'll just bring him back. But the writing was on the wall from the start. They never actually fired him. They said it was a mutual departure, and the door was always left open. So right. I think we'll, we'll be finding out sometime this week that Alex Cora will be named once again Red Sox manager uh, in 2021, and hopefully the season goes a little bit better than it did last year. I know for a fact that he's going to have a new roster, not going to have Mookie Betts, mm-hmm. We're not going to have Jackie Bradley Jr., Pitching staff's going to look a whole lot different, so he'll have his work cut out for him, but it'll be exciting to see what happens. It can't possibly go worse than last year. No, it couldn't, because I was going to say they could lose more games, but if they had lost more games this year, they would have finished with the first overall pick. (laughs) Finishing with the fourth pick is literally as, as awful as it can get. It really can't get much worse. Uh, all right. Well, I think that's just about going to do it. Then we talked about a lot of stuff today, though. We, we focusing on the football once again. Had a little exercise drafting the Patriots over the last twenty years. Uh, made more picks. Hopefully, things turn around a little bit, and uh, you know we're each looking forward to uh, something that may or may not be happening this week. But uh, as always, we want to make sure that our listeners are following along with us throughout the week. You can follow us on our social media profiles: Twitter, Instagram. I'm available at NickMara94. What about you, Mike? Where can the listeners reach you? I'm semi-available at Twitter, on Twitter at Mike underscore Masala or on Instagram at Mike Masala NFL. Yeah, I, I guess I'm more available than you because I have <laughs> nothing going on during the week. <laughs> the only time I'm technically working is at like 3 o'clock in the morning on the weekends. True. Which this past weekend was very interesting. Daylight savings time really fucked things over for me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, yeah. It was two o'clock and then it was one o'clock and then I was like, oh fuck, I'm going to have to work an extra hour. You really throw a wrench into your plans there. Yeah, it did. Th- those damn farmers. Yeah. 
Benjamin Franklin, man. Uh, but always, you, you can also reach us on the uh, Moving the Goalpost social media profiles as well. Uh, they're available on Twitter and Instagram at Moving the Posts. Mike, this was fun. Till next time, bud. Later, brother. Peace. <laughs>